0: I think that we can all identify with uh, feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, right? Unsure, unstable, uh, stressed, and frustrated. We all can identify with that, uh, sometimes more than others. Different situations cause it more, but we can all identify with that. In some way and at some point, uh, we're going to say, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. And uh, I think with that, now more than ever, we all feel the need for uh, the presence of peace, right? And for refuge. I think that uh, now more than ever we we feel that need, we have that longing, that hunger. Uh, That's one thing that situations that we find ourselves in can do. That's kind of a silver lining, is it creates in us a hunger and a desire for things that maybe normally we wouldn't be as aware of, we wouldn't be as tuned into if it weren't for the things that are going on. And so I think there is a very real and a very deep sense of Um, I need to go to a source of peace that will always be there that will not let me down. I need a refuge that nothing else around me is going to provide. I think that there's a lot of us that are feeling that, and that's not a bad thing. Um, There is a mock staged prison in Asia where people actually pay the equivalent of $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement. And they go in, and they're away from all phones and all clocks and, and all people. Who here already says, wow, that sounds great, sign me up? Who, who says, yeah, that would be awesome? Yeah. Um, and so they're away from all that. You get an actual blue prison uniform. Uh, it's, it's fake, but that's what they give you as you come in. Uh, you get a yoga mat. You get a teapot. And you get a pen and a notebook. And that's what they give you. Uh, The guests have a private bathroom, which is nice. That's something no prisoner has. Uh, But uh, that's what they get. But it has no mirror, so that you can't take any time in front of the mirror and worry about what you might look like. So they even remove that anxiety source out from you. Uh, So no mirror. You get a limited menu for dinner and breakfast, but you do get dinner and breakfast. Um, And uh, so. Some of you may say, yeah, this sounds great. Some of you may have been lost at yoga mat. Uh, I don't know. But this is uh, a real place, and the co-founder said that uh, this mock prison was inspired by her husband. Her husband uh, is a prosecutor, and apparently he often, used to anyway, put in uh, a 100-hour work weeks. And she says that her husband often would tell her that he would love to just go into solitary confinement somewhere uh, for a week to actually take a rest and reflect and get away from all the, uh, the pressures, you know, that kept him feeling chained, as it were, uh, all the time. And so they came up with this idea, and apparently it's been wildly successful. The problem, though, an obvious irony, is that any escape from the chaos of life that these guests uh, would experience while in this mock prison wouldn't last long, wouldn't last long, because obviously their prison of uh, pressure and stress or anxiety or fear, whatever they were trying to escape from, it isn't limited to a specific environment or a specific circumstance or a career, right? Right? And the same is true for all of us, that uh, the the lack of peace that we experience so often in life, or our anxiety, or our fear, our worry, our stress, it's not attached to any one specific thing, or place, or people even. Um, Lack of peace doesn't just happen out there. It actually can be just as present in here in the heart. And sometimes much more than anything outside of ourselves, we'll find that internally we lack peace. Internally we are imprisoned by many different things, uh, more than anything outside of ourselves. And so we can try to run and get away from all that. We can do all we can to escape from circumstances and situations and environment and people, but we'll still find that we are plagued by a lack of peace, and imprisoned in fear if we're not looking to the only source of real peace. That's what uh, the person at the center of the passage that we're going to start out with today uh, knew to be true, experienced, found to be true, and uh, so I invite you to look at Judges chapter 6 with me, Judges chapter 6, and I'm going to be zeroing in to start with on verses 11 through 13, Judges 6 starting with 11 through 13 this is taking place in the cycle of sin and and repentance and forgiveness and redemption that Israel's finding themselves in uh, they are, are being taken captive by different people, and uh, because of their sin, because of their wickedness, because of their failure to turn to God and repent, and so he, he gives them over to these overlords, and they're in trouble, and they're discouraged, and they're definitely not in peace, and so they turn to God and say, we were wrong, we repent, deliver us, and he does. He sends them a judge to rescue them, and then judge them, and it goes okay for a while, but then they end up back in the same cycle of sin. That's the, the whole theme of Judges. So Judges 6 verse 11 says this, the angel of the Lord, and I've told you before and many of you know, this is not just an, an angel. This is not just any ordinary, regular angel. This is someone set apart. This is specific. Um, this is someone above any other angels. And this is a title more than it is a description. The angel of the Lord came, and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Midian was the, the country... And the people that were ruling over Israel, they had really pretty much enslaved Israel. They were tormenting them. Anything that Israel produced, they would take. And so here's Gideon, and he's threshing wheat, not where you would expect to find him threshing wheat. Instead, he's off in the distance. He's hiding in the wine press. That's not where you thresh wheat. You thresh wheat on a threshing floor. But he's not where you would expect. He's trying to smuggle away some wheat so it doesn't get taken by the Midianites. Verse 12, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Don't you just love the, the, the uh, sarcasm and the irony there and the humor? Um, here's Gideon cowering and hiding and maybe peeking up to see if anybody's coming and he's threshing, threshing. Is anybody coming? Threshing, threshing. And here's the angel of the Lord and he says, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? they said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Don't you sometimes just, if you just honestly, feel like Gideon? Sure you do. Sure you do. And we all can feel that way, and we all maybe can question the same kind of question that Gideon had, and we can have that same mindset like, where are you, God? Why are you allowing all these things to happen? That's something that humanly uh, we can find ourselves very easily doing. When we're in the midst of a situation or a set of circumstances that we didn't ask for, that we don't like, and we wish would go away, and it's not, we can find ourselves saying something similar to Gideon. Even if we don't say it out loud, we can find ourselves thinking it and feeling it in our hearts. Well, God, I thought you were bigger than this. God, where's your blessing now? Where's your faithfulness now? Why is all this happening? Why are you doing this to me? That's what Gideon was certainly asking. Well, this didn't stop the angel of the Lord, and he said, I want you to go and rescue Israel. Israel. Uh, I want to prove to you that, w- that God has not abandoned you. In fact, I am sending you. And th- when he said that, he was identifying himself with God and being as God. And he said, am I not the one sending you? I want you to go, and by your hand, I will deliver Israel. And Gideon says to him, well, maybe you don't know who I am. I, w- I come from a really small tribe. We're the least in all of Israel, and I'm the least in my father's house. I can't do what you're asking. And it still didn't stop him. He said, no, go. I'm commanding you. I want to use you to deliver Israel. So Gideon starts thinking, well, this isn't just some random person. And, and I don't even think this is some random angel. He's certainly not claiming to be. So he says, tell you what, if you're really who you're telling me, you're insinuating that you are, you're the God who who I have just questioned and you're telling me that, that you are still with us and you are going to deliver us, stay here and I'm going to go and I'm going to get together what is is needed to make an offering and I'm going to offer it before you. And if you're really who you're implying that you are and I can really trust you and I don't need to be afraid, then you'll you'll accept my offering. You'll burn it up right in front of me. That's how I'll know that this isn't just some random thing and I'm talking to somebody pretty special. So the angel of the Lord says, sounds good to me. Go ahead. Go do it. I'll wait here. So he goes and gets everything together, and he comes back, and he, he puts together the offering, and right in front of him, this figure, this mysterious person, accepts the offering. He burns it right up, and then disappears with the offering, as, as the smoke is rising, you know, and as the offering is, is being given, he just disappears right in front of Gideon. He's there and poof, he's not anymore. And Gideon starts to realize everything that just took place. And that's what verse 22 tells us. Look, look with me at that. Verse 22. When Gideon realized that he, the person that had been with him, that he was talking with, that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, "Oh." no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The implication there being, I'm going to die. He knew now who this was. This was not just an angel. This was the angel of the Lord, which was a title for whenever God would appear in human literal form before his people. It's what happened with Abraham and Isaac, and all through uh, Israel's history, Moses and the burning bush. And so whenever this figure would appear, he would accept worship, he would give commands and give strength for the commands, he would accept offering, and he would speak with the complete first-person authority that belonged only to God, which showed this was an appearance of God before people and so they knew this was a long-standing thing a reality that if the angel of the lord appeared before you you were seeing god and you should be afraid very afraid that's what was going on here but verse 23 the lord said to him peace to you peace is always good but it's extra good when you are extra afraid you know when you find yourself uh, just totally tossed around with waves of fear and uncertainty and and things look like they couldn't possibly get any worse and and then something comes along or something is said to you that reminds you that peace is available. It's just so much sweeter. And so here's Gideon, sure that he's going to die because he's seeing God. He's talked with God. He's questioned God. Sure that that's it for him. And now God himself says... No, don't worry. You're not going to die. Peace. I'm I'm saying peace to you. I'm giving you peace. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. Certainly there's nothing in you that, that should bring this about in your life. You, you're, you're hiding in a wine press. You don't possess inward strength, Gideon, but it's okay because I'm going to give you everything you need. Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. Then verse 24. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. It is still in Ophrah of the Abiezrites today. The Lord is Peace. And that, my friends, is the divine name that we're looking at today as we continue in our What's in a Name series. We've got ten down as of today, two more to go in this series. And uh, I have just so, so enjoyed studying and giving this series to you, and I hope that you have benefited from it as well. And uh, from all the names we've looked through, they're, they're just all so full of, of uh, beauty and richness and power, and uh, they show us the very character of our God. And so as we, as we go forward today, we're going to focus in on this name, Yahweh Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. And it means the Lord is peace. And we could even actually say the Lord is our peace because that's what he is. And so here is, is Gideon's encounter with this, the mighty being, this mysterious being, the angel of the Lord who is God, but yet appears in physical form before the people. And we know from the New Testament, we know that John's Gospel says no one has seen God the Father ever. So if they haven't seen God the Father, but yet people all through history, prior to the incarnation of Jesus, still saw God, then who was it they were seeing? Who was this person, this figure in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, who was God and yet appeared to man and talked with man and spared their life? Who, who was that? Someone tell me. It was Jesus. Absolutely. It was Jesus. It was the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. And just as he gave peace to Gideon, of someone who really needed uh, to, to experience peace, really needed the strength of God's peace that only God can provide, that wasn't the only time by any means that Jesus who is absolutely Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. That was not the only time that he provided peace in a powerful way, in an unmistakable way, and, and uh, gave a, a very real picture of the peace that only he can provide. I want to turn your attention to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we'll zero in on verses 22 through 25. Luke 8, 22 through 25. Verse 22 says this. One day... He, speaking of Jesus and his disciples, got into a boat, and he told them, "Let's cross over to the other side of the lake." So they set out, and as they were sailing, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know how many of you have been out on an actual sailboat, have actually been sailing, um, but man, I don't know, even on the best of circumstances, how someone would fall asleep in a sailboat. Uh, I mean, it's just that, you know, back and forth, up and down anybody need dramamine yet um yeah i don't know how but but anyway he fell asleep then a fierce windstorm Thank derecho guys remember the derecho You, you know they just had one again in the midwest thankfully god spared us from that that would have just made 2020 really really special if we got hit by derecho on top of everything else but he spared us um think derecho just this huge windstorm coming down kind of out of nowhere on the lake they were being swamped. That means like water filling in the boat. They were being swamped and were in danger. And they came, verse 24, and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to die. Don't you care? How can you sleep through this? We're about to die and you're just sitting there, you're just sleeping. What in the world is going on here? And so he got up and, uh, you know, maybe I, I stretched a little bit and yawned and, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and other accounts of this same activity says, he said, peace, be still, stop your raging, literally. Be quiet, is what he would have said in the, in the literal there. Um, stop your raging, be quiet, just stop it. And there was a calm. So howling wind, crashing waves, and then all of a sudden, nothing, just even water, sun probably out, birds chirping seagulls again. I mean, that's the scene. It went from, we're going to die, we're going to capsize any moment, to still waters. And he said to them, where is your faith? Because at this point, they had already seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They had seen the power of God in vivid display through their master, through Jesus. They had seen him healing countless people. They had heard him speak with the authority that they admitted no one else spoke with. So, I mean, this was a valid question. Guys, where is your faith? You knew I was with you in the boat, right? I mean, I was just in the stern, asleep. I was in that little compartment right over there. I was with you. Haven't I been with you all this other time? Haven't you seen all these different things? Haven't I provided for you miraculously? Where's your faith? And they were fearful and amazed, asking one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey Him. It's a good question. Who then is this? And I want you to to see there in verse 25 something that provides a great contrast to verse 24. The, The disciples went from being completely overcome by fear and completely lacking any sense of peace related to the storm they were in, right? But notice, when Jesus calms that storm, and, and I just see him getting up and just, you know, stop. I mean, I, I don't see a lot of drama around what he did. I don't think he went to all these great lengths of, you know, waving his arms and, and all this great display. I think he just said, stop. You know, just simple. And it did. But they went from fearing the storm... In a, in a sinful lack of faith way to now fearing in a reverential awe way of the one who calmed the storm. And that's always how it should be. When we go through storms, which we will, all of us, all of us will go through storms, and some of them will be doozies, But when we go through those, as people who are in Christ, we have to be able to make the transition from fearing the storm in a lack-of-faith, worry-filled manner to fearing the one who commands all the storms. That needs to mark our lives as well. And the reason Jesus could have slept through the storm. The reason he did, sleep through the storm. You know, they were asking, how, how is this possible? How can you be asleep at a time like this? The reason that Jesus could sleep through the storm is because he was sure of his identity. And he was sure of his father's care over him. He knew why he was here. He knew what he was here to do. And he knew and trusted in the fact that his father was not going to allow anything to prevent that plan for which he was sent. And he knew who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was the Savior of the world, come to redeem mankind. And he knew and was not confused about the fact that he was the creator and sustainer of all life. While he was there in the boat, he was the only one who could command the storm to come or go. He was the only one that could keep that boat together while he was in it. I mean, he was literally holding the molecules of that boat together while he was in it. He's the one that was giving his disciples breath at that very moment. He wasn't confused about his identity. And friends, neither can we be. We cannot allow ourselves to be confused about the identity of our Savior. He's not just our Savior, He's our Creator. And He's not just our Creator, He's our Sustainer. So whatever we're going through, it had to go through Him first to get to us. And He's going to hold us up in the midst of it as well. And we can also trust the fact that not only do we have Jesus constantly providing what we need, but we have His Father as our Father through Him, through Him. And so we can say to God the Father what Jesus said, Abba, Abba. And there's that intimate connection that's available to us all because of Christ. And so we can trust in the care of God the Father as our Father, just as Jesus, while on earth in His role as Messiah, constantly trusted in and depended on His Father's care. That's what He wants to be true of us, just as He did. He was sure of His identity, and He was sure of His Father's care for Him, and He wants that to be true of us as His followers. And we can be. We can be. And the reason we can be, and the reason that we can trust and rest, even in the midst of the worst storm that comes our way in this life, the reason we can, we can trust and rest and know peace in the midst of all of it is because the one that calmed the storm on the sea can calm the storm inside of me. Do you believe that, church? The one that calmed the storm on the sea can and will calm the storm inside of me. No matter what that storm might be, it's nothing for Him. It's not going to be bigger than him. It's not going to be too much for him to handle. And 2020, my goodness, it, it has been the year of the storm in a in a lot of different ways. One storm after another. It's, it's really been a significant experience, hasn't it? I mean, not only do we have COVID and all that goes with that and, and all the, the frenzy and chaos of that and all the unsettling nature of that and the things that it, it's disrupted. It's disrupted life as we know it. It's disrupted our preferences. It's disrupted our comforts. It's disrupted our plans. It's caused all kinds of division, not just in our country, but even in the church, unfortunately. And now only do you have that, you have all the, um, you had all the riots, you know, just a few months ago that were just tearing our country apart and under the guise of of uh, protesting injustice, which maybe is what it started at, but quickly disintegrated into everything that, that is as evil and just uh, full of anarchy on display and, and an excuse for rebellion and bringing out the worst of mankind. And now you have, uh, as we gear up for another huge political season, you have all that drama that always comes. And, I mean, it's just been a year and it has have been storm one after another. And that's not even identifying what may be true of you personally, individually, that doesn't fall under the category of any of that. You know, life is full of storms in this life, in this experience, this side of eternity. Even as saved ones, we were never guaranteed to keep sailing on stormless seas. Quite the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, in this life, in this experience, you will have tribulation. You will suffer hardship. Storms are going to come your way. But here's the good news in that. You can take heart. You can take courage and have courage because I have overcome the world we could even kind of fit it in this. We can, we can apply what we just read, and, and it's just as if he said, but I command every storm that comes your way, and I'll bring you through it. No matter what storm may be around you right now, no matter what storm may be in you that you're dealing with internally, in your heart, in your mind, your spirit, whatever is crashing in on you right now, whatever it is, I promise you, I promise you that the one who calmed that storm that day on the Sea of Galilee can and will calm all the storms that come your way and that you have to deal with, not just externally, but internally. I promise you. And the reason that that's true and that I know it to be true and the reason I can promise you that and you can remind yourselves of that promise is because Jesus the one that you at some point believed in to save you from your sin, He is peace. He is peace. Jesus is peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. He is the complete, total manifestation of that great divine name that Gideon experienced all those years ago. He's the same. He is that. He's the embodiment of it. He's the full revelation of that name. Jesus is peace. And not only is he peace, he causes peace. Not only does he cause peace, he provides peace. You know, Jesus said, where's your faith to his disciples? Where's your faith? Why are you allowing yourselves to be so gripped with fear when I am with you? And the reason he was saying it that way, and the reason he was asking that, is because he was saying Don't you know yet by now? Don't you realize I will give you peace? I am the peace that you need and that you you long for. I'm the one that will bring it about and I'm the one that will give it to you. And Jesus will never command us to be something or to have something or to do something or to know something that he does not also provide and give us. He doesn't ever command or, or call us to do something. He will not always provide what we need to do it. Look at John 14, 27. This is right before Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is when he starts his last dialogue with his disciples, where he gives them kind of his, um, his last instruction or his last remarks things that he wants to make sure they know and they remember before he gets ready to leave them to go to the cross and then ultimately to go to his father he says this peace shalom is the word i leave with you my peace and that's significant my peace remember he is peace he is the source of peace my peace i give to you I do not give to you as the world gives, which is incredibly important to understand and keep in mind. The world, humanity, culture, society, they make all kinds of promises of peace. Hey, try this and you'll experience peace. Do this and you'll know peace. Go and and find this this particular job or step into this life or try to get all of these things around you pursue this chase after that and you'll find peace but it's all empty false promises and even if the world can provide a measure of peace it will not last it will always fade away no matter what it might be if you're looking for your peace in other people Then, even if you experience it for a little while, it will not last. It will leave you, and then you'll be empty again. If you're looking for peace in material things, in possessions, in the right kind of clothes, the right kind of car, that dream house, it's going to come up empty, and then you will be empty as well. So, it's very significant that Jesus says, I do not give to you as the world gives. I'm giving you something much bigger. I go way beyond what they can do. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let, and that's also significant, don't let. In other words, we have a choice before us. We have a responsibility in this pursuit of peace. Don't let your heart, which drives the whole person, our hearts drive everything we are. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. I've said it already, but I'll say again, in this life, we're all going to have to face and and deal with constant threats to peace. I mean, we're just going to be bombarded every day we're alive with some sort of threat to peace. And most of that we can't control. Most of it we just can't. We can't control. We're, we're just kind of like that boat out on the sea being tossed around by waves. That's just the reality. Most of what we face in life by way of threats to our peace, by wave storms, most of it we can't control. It's just a fact. But it's also a fact that it is up to us how we react to, and respond to those things. That's something that we can choose and control. Stormy weather is going to come, and a lot of that we can't control, but we can choose how we're going to act and react to those things. If we are in Christ, if you're here today and you know for a fact, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. If you're in Christ, then believer, you and I have the supernatural ability to choose to reject worry and to embrace peace. We can make that choice. It's before us, in Christ. It's given to us. Here's what Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 tells us. Remember, Jesus said, don't let your heart be Troubled or fearful. In other words, there is a choice on our part, and that's what um, Paul agrees with, and that's what he wrote about in Philippians four six through seven, which which I invite you to look at Philippians four six through seven and and the same concept is going to be communicated there that we have a choice, and more than just having a choice, we have personal responsibility in this pursuit of peace. And as we look at this in just a second. I want you to see something. I want you to see in this little passage a powerful recipe for peace. And if you're taking notes or you're one that doesn't mind writing in the margin of your Bible, I would even encourage you to write that recipe for peace, because that's what this is. That's what Paul is providing for us in this passage. Here we go. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Anything, Paul? Yeah, anything. Don't worry about anything. And remember who Paul was and the experiences he went through. All the rejection of his own people, persecution, beatings, torture. Um, he went many times without food, so hunger. He, he went uh, without clothing. He had been shipwrecked. I mean, if anybody had reason to worry about things in life, he was one of them. And yet he said, don't worry about anything. Anything. So you you take the, the biggest, most scary, unpredictable, uncertain set of circumstances, the biggest storm you can think of in life, and yet Paul would say, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, which includes the anything he's saying not to worry about. But in everything, every situation... Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So he's saying, Believer, you make a choice. As you go through this life, determine, resolve intentionally not to be overcome by worry about anything, small or great, little things, big things. Don't worry about anything. Instead, take all those things all the anything you're not to worry about and in all of that in everything instead take it all through prayer to God with with petition that means ask him things ask him what what you're going through to uh, experience peace in. Ask Him to give you strength. Ask Him to give you grace. Ask Him to remind you of the fact that He is peace and that through His Son, your Savior, you can know peace. Ask Him to remind you that you have peace available to you. Ask Him to help you apply it. Whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind, whatever is weighing you down, whatever wave keeps coming over the, the side of the boat that you're in in this life, whatever is tossing you around, whatever it is, don't let it get you. Don't let it grab you. Don't let it throw you down. Determine, no, I will not give in to worry. Rather, I'm going to take this situation, this big storm that I can't deal with, that I can't chase away on my own, I'm going to take it to the one who will always be able to calm it, no matter what it is. And through prayer, I'm going to, I'm going to humble myself before God, and I'm going to ask Him what I need. I'm going to Take the situation to him. And, and with thanksgiving, that's another very important part of this, with thanksgiving. So it means come to God with your needs, with your concerns, with your burdens. Know he cares for you. Know he's capable of bringing you through it, of giving you peace in it, and thank him for it. Thank him in advance for what he's going to do. Say, God, I, I'm really dealing with something right now, and I know you know that, and I don't know the way out. I have no answers here. And I am really, really struggling with worrying about this. I, I'm, just, I'm being tossed around, God, right now. But I thank you that even in the midst of this, you're in control. I thank you that this is not taking you by surprise. I thank you that you've got me. You've got this. I thank you for always being there in the past. I thank you for being with me now. And I thank you in advance for what you're going to show me, what you're going to teach me, what you're going to do with me through this. That's what he's talking about here. In verse 7, after he says, present your request to God, and that's tied specifically to the worrying not about anything and in everything, taking it to prayer. As you do that, here's the result. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, means it, it exceeds anything we can wrap our minds around. The peace of God. It's more powerful than anything we can understand or comprehend. Any any source of peace we might be able to generate or manufacture or find, humanly speaking, it goes way beyond it. It totally exceeds and eclipses any other source or type of peace. The peace of God, which surpasses, blows by all understanding, will guard your heart's and minds in Christ Jesus who is peace. Jesus is the peace of God, church. So if you're in Jesus as a believer, you're in peace. It's always there, no matter what. And I know, I know it's easy to hear this and it's easy to agree with, but it's another thing to practice. It's another thing to apply. I get that. I know that. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. I am preaching to myself today, okay? I struggle with this. Man, do I struggle. I am naturally, personally, just just me being real here with you, I am prone to worry and anxiety and to fear. Like, that is my default switch as a person. So I struggle greatly with not worrying about, little things as well as big things, it's all equal to me. <laughs> you know, I, I have a hard time with all of it. I am prone to sometimes, sometimes crippling anxiety. I am. So I get where you're coming from if that's true of you as well. I know how hard it can be. But here's the other thing that I absolutely know. I'm not just up here saying this because I have to. I am saying all these things because I have personally experienced all this to be true. I know it to be true. I believe it, that even though you may be prone to worry, even though that may be what is naturally true of you, I know for a fact by experience that the supernatural power of the one who is peace, who is in me, is far greater than anything I'm naturally prone to. And so I don't have to yield to those things. I don't have to be tossed by the wave of doubt and fear and anxiety and worry. I don't have to to let the storm have its way with me. I can choose to surrender my whole self, my entire being, to the one who calmed the storm 2,000 years ago and who waits standing ready to let me let him calm the storm inside of me. And that's true of you as well. It's true for you as well. We can all do that. We can experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. We can know what it's like to be guarded by the God of peace, to guard our, our hearts and our minds like a fortress. Think of a castle, a secure fortress where, where the drawbridge is up and nothing's getting in and everything's sealed up and you're behind this, this place of security. That's what, what Paul's talking about here. But it only it only happens. It's not forced on us. It only happens as you and I make that choice to not worry about anything, not be anxious in anything, but instead in everything, through prayer, through petition, with thanksgiving, to present all of those requests to God. That's the only way that happens. Verse seven is the result of verse six. What all this means, all bringing it all together. This is not original to me. This is a statement that's been around for a long, long time, but it's just as good as it ever was, and it's just as true. And that's this. Know Jesus, no peace. Know Jesus, no peace. That's, that's the sum of it all. I mean, that's really the gospel. If you know Jesus... You're going to know peace because he is peace. You don't have Jesus in your life. There's no Jesus in you. Then no peace will be in you either. No matter how hard you look, no matter how hard you try, without Jesus, peace is not possible because he is peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. So with all that being said, I want to leave you with the benediction that Paul gave in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 where he says this, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You are peace. I thank You that in knowing You, we can know peace and have peace. I thank You that You give us the peace that you command us to have. And you don't ever call us to or ask us for or command us something that you will not also provide, that you will not also give us by way of fuel or ammunition for. Thank you for that. Thank you that just as you calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, so you will calm any and every storm that comes our way, that comes at us and that we deal with inside of us, I thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to really believe and to remember and recall and apply the fact that you are and always will be Yahweh Shalom, our peace. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we Experience that from you personally as we remember that and apply it and live it out. Help us then to be people of peace that point others to you. May others see in us a powerful peace that they they can't wrap their minds around, that they certainly can't experience in their life or in their situation or in the world. And may they see such an attractive peace in us that they cannot help but ask us about it. What is this reason for the peace you have? What is this reason for the hope you have in the midst of all these storms we're all going through? What in the world is it with you? And then we can say, it's not me, it's not us. It's because we know peace and we have the person who is peace, the Lord of peace. We have Him as our Savior. Let me introduce you. Oh, may, may that be what we find happens in and, and through our lives. May, may you use us in that way as we surrender to your peace, as we accept your peace and make that decision to surrender to the peace that you provide, Jesus. Use us then to point others to it, please. And we'll praise you for that. And, and I just praise you for the fact that, personally, I don't have to be tossed around by every wave of worry. I I have known and can continue to know your peace moment by moment. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would be able to experience the same thing every single moment. And we'll all praise you for it, and we do so now in your name. Amen.